This episode of Modern Bonsai is brought to you by thebonsaidojo.com. The Bonsai Dojo is Bonsai-N's newest online learning platform where you can learn bonsai with set structured curriculums which makes learning bonsai easier. Head on over to www.thebonsaidojo.com to check out the beginner's course that is currently available and keep an eye out on our social media platforms as we begin launching new courses all the time. Modern Bonsai listeners, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And today, we've got an Australian bonsai artist joining us, and his name is John Eastman. John has been practicing bonsai for well over 40 years, and has a lot of knowledge to share. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this returning episode of Modern Bonsai. Just for everybody else out there, um, you know, obviously me and you have been in contact before. Um, this isn't our first conversation. But for everybody else out there that doesn't know um, yourself and your work in bonsai, do you want to just give a quick introduction to your life in bonsai so far? Oh, okay. Just a quick one. Um, <laughs> I've, 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 been, I've been doing bonsai for 30, 46 years, sorry, 46 years. Um, I started. I started back when there was no internet, of course. Um, so it was, it was the first twenty years was was really flying blind, trial and error. Um, thankfully, in the really early early uh, stages of my bonsai career, when I was about eighteen, um, I lived in Sydney for a while, and I managed to get hold of uh, the Koroshoffs in Castle Hill. And I'd go there at every opportunity to, and ask questions. And, and they were very, very good. Vita and Dorothy Koroshoff were, were um, incredible with their, their with just giving information. So um, that's what real, that was my foundation in, in Bonsai, I guess. And frankly, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have the, the, the collection I have now. And uh, so I, I immediately started to get as many seedlings and cuttings and air layers as I possibly could. I had over, over well, probably 15, 1,600 trees in the ground uh, in the early early days. And um, we, 21 years ago, we moved to Dorigo because of the climate and the soil, um, for the bonsais, of course, not for us. Yep. And, um, and we, we, took, we took probably 500, nearly five or 600 trees with us. Uh, the rest stayed behind because it was just way too many to take. Yeah. But we picked the eyes out of it. Um, and now, after after 21 years here, I've got it down to uh, about 70 bonsai, 70 core bonsai. And they they reside in our uh, bonsai gallery now that's open to the public. Yeah. So um, that's, the, that's the short version. So, well, now we'll start going into some details of that. So... Sure. When... When you first started bonsai, what was it in those early days that got you into it? Because I know that in this day and age, like you mentioned, when you started, there was no internet and there probably wasn't a lot of, 
you know, these days we see bonsai pop up in all sorts of movies. They pop up in TV shows like Cobra Kai and obviously in the movies like Karate Kid. Um, yeah. And bonsai is becoming, you know, widespread, well-known. Um, it's becoming, you know, a main art almost like painting would be or sculpture, yep. anything like that. But back in the days when you started, it probably wasn't, as well known as it is now. So what was it that got you your start? Well, well, how I started for a start was I actually, um, when I was, when I lived in Sydney, when I was very young, I, uh, I bought my mother because my, my mother was a, um, um, an avid gardener. So I bought her a bonsai from David Jones florist off the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a Norway spruce. And she lived in a hot, humid climate in Grafton. And consequently, it didn't live for very long. So I bought a book on bonsai. And it was a, I've still got the book. Um, it's the worst bonsai book I've ever seen in my life. But it was probably one of the very few that were around then. And I just got interested in it because I've been interested in martial arts and everything Japanese since I was a kid. So that helped. Yep. But, um, but yeah, that was that was it, and and having no having really nothing to sort of guide me over a long period of time, it was it really was a lot of trial and error. And um, thankfully, there were books like um, I've got them here. I've got every one of them. Onzai today. Yep. The book um, that um, that helped me through the through the nineties. Um, put it that way. I managed to get something. Though most of those were uh, were Japanese articles and translated and, and printed into bonsai today, so that helped me. But having said that, there's a, there was a, so much misinformation around. It was, and that's why it was a lot of trial and error. Um, if you if you ask someone how you develop and refine Japanese black pine, there'll be a thousand answers. Yep. You know, honestly, there's so many. So many different techniques out there, but there's only a few that work in your particular area, your particular microclimate. So um, the first 20 years was trial and error. The next 26 years was was working and refining my bonsais. Yeah, well, you so, make a good point there because, you know, you say, and I did see um, you had a, a black pine talk that you did, I think it was around June this year sometime. And, in Port Macquarie, yes. Yeah, and I, I remember you mentioning in that talk, um, you know, you ask 20 different people something about a black pine, you'll get 20 different answers. And <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Yeah. It, it's funny because when it comes to bonsai, and I see this all the time on the internet, um, you know, especially on like Facebook groups and forums and things, when, when people practice uh, bonsai, and especially with something like a black pine, you know, you have two people with two different techniques and you know one's thinking that person's techniques don't work and one's thinking that person's techniques don't work but the funny <laughs> thing about it is is you look at the two people and you think you're both right but you're both live in two different places and that's why yeah. that person's techniques won't work in that person's area i think yeah when it comes to bonsai education i, I think it needs to shift more from how to and more to why because Exactly. I, I find if yeah. you teach people why, 
then they can better apply it yep. to their their own area. You know, why do yep. we use certain soils, and why do we fertilize with different ingredients, organic versus inorganic, or you know, whatever it may be. You know, just because yep. one person does something different to you, it doesn't mean you know that it doesn't work. It's always well, funny. You're absolutely right. Um, I've, when you were when you were saying that, I, I just recalled a, a YouTube by Ryan Neal about. Um, soil, and he he he's a very smart man. That guy, when he when he explains something, he explains something. He explains the why, yep. not not use this 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 and this, but but um, tailor your ingredients to do this 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 and this. Yep. And um, that you, you're dead right, mate. You you can. No one's written a book on on how to grow Japanese black pines in Dorigo. That's right. You know, know, like it's that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> but there are uh, the the talk I did in Port Macquarie was 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 very simplified and it was really a distillation of, of what I've learnt over the years and what I've thrown out and what I've kept as far as information is concerned. And it was quite down to earth and fairly quite matter of fact on 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 why you should do certain things at certain times, why you should fertilise at certain times, why you shouldn't fertilise at certain times. So it's, um, it's that's the, is the way you should teach. That's the way you should, that anyone should learn as well. Yeah, okay. and of course, never take never take anyone's advice unless you see their trees first. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> I mean the other thing is too. I, I find a lot that when people are teaching things so you know when you were teaching that uh well, when you were doing the black pine talk it was more it was heavily um on the side of refinement you know but then i always find that some people teach but they forget to mention whether they're teaching development or refinement because you know as you would know in bonsai those two um things in bonsai are black and white you know, the soil you use in development is completely different to refinement and the techniques you do here, are, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, especially with black pine. Like, you would not treat a black pine in refinement as if it was in development or vice versa. That's that's exactly right. You've it, develop, In development, you know, the, the, when I developed all my black pines from seed, mainly from seedlings, you just let them grow in the ground. You let them grow, but you've also got to keep some very small branches close to the trunk so that you can you can make that the bonsai but you need you need to let the tree grow you can't go needle plucking and bud selecting on a on a on a, a, a branch when it's being developed you, you try you just keep the trees too small and they won't develop as yeah. they should in the ground you sort of you you're just you're just making making the process a lot harder and a lot slower yeah i i tend to find that a lot of people out there have the the notion that bonsai are like hair the more you cut it the more it grows <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm not yeah. i'm not sure where that comes from because you always see these little tiny trees no, fair and, enough. and people go oh when yeah. do i cut it and it's, don't <laughs> yeah i see it a lot on on facebook people say i've just i've just got this black pine um how do I refine this? And, and it's it's a stick in a pot, you know. Yeah. And you you can't you can't put a you can't put a bonsai or a tree in a bonsai pot unless it's been developed, unless it has some sort of some particular character 
that will carry it through its life. Well, you know, it. It, that's that's what I it, it frustrates me when I see people have with a stick in a pot, and they call it a bonsai when it's got no character, it's got nothing, nothing, no redeeming feature, and that's what development in the ground does. It develops that that redeeming feature, and you're basically letting the tree do that with a little with a little twigging here and there. Yeah, but that's what you're doing. You're allowing the tree to grow and develop some character almost by itself. Yeah. So when you were going back to, you know, when you first started, you were talking about mm-hmm. um, the bonsai book that you first had that was quite horrible. And I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say, was that the Sunset Bonsai book? That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> what a guess. Printed in 19, 1970, I think the first, I got a first edition that was printed in 1970 uh, or 71 or something like that. I've got one here, I think. That mine's uh, that one. That's that's the animal, yeah, yeah. yeah mine's yeah. all falling apart. Yeah, know. yeah. Mine's my, mine's hidden away somewhere now. I uh, I'm not sure. Mine's the seventh printing, June 1982. Yeah, yeah. Mine's mine's a little bit older than that one, but uh, yeah, pretty hor- pretty horrible looking stuff in it. But <laughs> but honestly, I thought I thought what was in there was was magical. Yeah. To be honest with you. It well, was I'm... it was created by some kind of magic, you know. It was just yeah, completely out of my abilities to, to produce something like that. But I look back on it now, and it was, they're just horrible. Well, it's really. funny you say that because when you're a beginner in bonsai, and I don't know if you remember this feeling when you first got into bonsai, but I know I certainly had it of my first tree I, I bought from Bunnings. Um, you know, I'm one of those guys. It was a juniper, bought it home, sat it yep. on my bedside table. Um, it was the ugliest looking thing you've ever seen. It just, oh, I, could, I can't tell you how bad. I shaped it in the style of a T. So it kind of had a trunk that went up and then a T in a, in a horrible blue green glazed bonsai pot. I mean, you, yeah. just, you just couldn't have had a worse tree. <laughs> but... To yeah. me, starting out in bonsai, it was like this magical thing. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't, I was absolutely fresh to bonsai. I had just walked past it in the shop, seen it. Mm, I mm. really like that. So I purchased it and took it home. And then mm. that's where it snowballed on from there. But, you yeah. know, there were so many things like I was one of these people that thought bonsai was an actual species of trees. Yes. You know, yeah, or some sort of genetic ver- variation on some big tree or something. Yeah, yeah. that's right. You think, oh, yeah. that's a bonsai. That's why it's worth yeah. so much bloody money. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But yeah, but but yeah, and and I I I do feel I you, you get that's exactly how I felt like it was some something something incredible, and that's why I don't I don't um, criticize people for for having their their sticks in pots. But I do like to um, remind them that a real bonsai needs some sort of character, some sort of redeeming feature to work on. Um, but yeah, every time I see that the sticks in pots on Facebook, it takes me back to that time when I thought it was magical. Yeah. Well, that's right. You can relate to it, and you think, "Man, I remember being Absolutely. there." You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I remember being there. Yeah. And like right. the, the little cheap pots that you buy and you think, oh, man, that's such a nice little pot. Look at the glaze on oh, it. Yeah, yeah. Then when you 
when you start getting into it and, and you realise what a, what a really good bonsai pot is and where it's made and, and the whole history of it, um, it takes you to that next level. But it just takes time. It takes time and, and, and a lot of, lot of focus and a lot of patience. Not, well, not, I shouldn't say patience. It's, I'm the most impatient person in the world. It's just, just a focus, I think. You've got to focus on it 100%. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that that whole thing, you know, that we just spoke about, I think that's probably the reason why when you looked at the Sunset Book at the time and you thought, wow, you know, look at those trees. And then as you mm. start to progress and you start to look back on those things and you think, mm, what was I looking at? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even, even what's in Bonsai today, um, like I've got, I've got them all um, back to the first one and I keep them here in my office. And I look at them all the time, and, but, you know, I pick the eyes out of it now and, and what I thought was good back then, not so good, you know. Yeah, you, you start to get a little bit more critical uh, of trees as you start to progress through. You start to look at different mm. things like bark characteristics and branch placement and taper and, you know, foliage yeah. and all that kind of stuff, you know, pot choice yeah. and... Yeah, and it, it, it tends to get a little bit um, it tends to get a little bit spiritual too. Like, um, I wasn't going to touch on the spiritual side of things, but when you when you talk about about going up and up and up in your experience, that you get it becomes more and more and more spiritual. And when the the Japanese talk about the age of something and and how fleeting the life of that particular thing is. It, it's embodied in the in the notion of wabi sabi, which a lot of people wouldn't have heard of. But if you if you're going to if you're going to be in bonsai for all your life, you really need to study wabi sabi because the two are, are meshed. Bonsai and wabi sabi are meshed together. It's yeah. um, it's it's one of the it, it's it's a real spiritual knowing. But uh, we, we won't go too far into that because people will start to tune out, I think. Well, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the basic understanding of bonsai and wabi-sabi is more about finding perfection and imperfection in, in Absolutely. certain things. Yeah. Not striving for perfection at all because people who strive for perfection never get there and they're always frustrated. Yep. But, but seeing, the, seeing the imperfection in that, that perfect imperfection, is is it's hard to grasp that notion. You can't just tell people this is this is wabi sabi. This is and go and do it. Uh, you have to you have to study it and you have to live it. Yeah. But yeah, it's perfect imperfection. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, I, I think cause I, I've tried to teach this to people before um, because you know when when I do lessons in bonsai and stuff and you know I, I try to give the beginners the most solid foundation I can in making them understand why's of everything rather than just how to's and all that kind of stuff yes, and absolutely I try to teach because we all know the quote-unquote rules of bonsai and you know there's those out there that get really upset when you mention the word rules so you know that's why I try <laughs> to <laughs> yes I, I, I try to teach people that these what we call quote-unquote rules are more or less guidelines and what we do with the guidelines yep. is we set we set a really high goal, and even if we don't reach that goal, we're just trying to get as close to that goal as humanly possible. You know, we're, we're not 
we're probably never going to get there because if you look at all those guidelines, you're never going to make a tree that's got every single one of those, you know, yep. things. Yes. That, I mean, one of the most important things in bonsai really is mochikomi. You know, a tree that has mochikomi is a great bonsai. Just in yeah. its in its core, yeah. that will that will make a great tree. And, and then if you can add nabari and and really nice tashiagari, and then some taper, um, some really well placed branching, everything just kind of sits on top of that. But I think. Yep. You know, as I said, they, these rules or guidelines, whatever you want to call them, I think they're just a bar that you set that's really, really high, and yeah. then you just they are, yeah, you just try and they jump are necessary. They are necessary. Like they're necessary for people to have a grounding in bonsai. It's I, I used in in the previous life, I used to teach a lot of martial arts in Sydney, and um, beginners had to learn the basics, but they had to learn them rigidly. Yep. And they were they were the rules you started with, and as you progressed, you, all those rules became loose, and you started develop developing your your own mini style within the within the the dojo you were in, yep. and it's exactly the same with bonsai. You you've got to have a grounding in the rules, but um, if you keep those rules right through your whole career, uh, you you stifle any kind of uh, uh, imagination and any kind of design. You can't, you can't create your own thing with too many rules, but you have to start with them. Yeah, well, I just feel like that, unfortunately, it's being given the wrong name almost because they're, they're not yeah. the rules. You don't, you don't live <laughs> and die by them. You don't stick to them, but <laughs> they are a very good outline to... Yeah fall back on you know yeah. if you're if you're yeah. somebody who's starting out in bonsai and you've got a big list of those guidelines there and you're sitting there looking at a tree trying to design it if you take a look at those guidelines and apply them to that tree you're halfway there you know because you'd be able to you know get good proportions everything in balance just by following those and then you can start stepping outside of those realms and what you were just saying before it's sounds exactly like the dojo that I practice at. Um, I, I practice um, Shurinji Kempo, which is a traditional Japanese martial art. Yep. Um, yep. And at the start of every session, we go back to the very basics. Every, mm. every lesson starts off with the basics. And then, yep. and then we go back to, you know, whatever grades we might be, you know, learning. Um, mm. But it's just grounding yourself and then, as you said, as you move forward, you start to develop your own feel, your own, your own style, you your own way yeah. that you do things. But you can't do that without first knowing the mechanics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, you understand that because you've been there. And that's, and that's exactly the, the – it's a perfect analogy for, for, for developing your bonsai skills. It yeah. really is. And I mean, yeah. you got you got to make all the mistakes I, too. Oh, oh well, look, um, the, you build on those. I've, I've <laughs> actually got I've actually got one old, really old Japanese red pine that um, it's my absolute favourite tree in the whole collection. It's nowhere near the best one, nowhere near it. But there's there's over twenty years of mistakes in this old tree. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I've I've spent I've spent the last two and a half decades trying to trying to make up for those mistakes. <laughs> but I look at that I look at that tree and I and you know if I had a fire over it in the gallery I that's the one I'd take. Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it's the one that I more I most relate to. Well, yeah, it's got so. all the character. It's got the yeah, it's got the learning and and the, and it's still got the mistakes there. I can still see them, but um, but I, it's funny when you when you talk about these rules. I I have a lot of lot of people visit the gallery, a lot of bonsai clubs, and and um, people look at my trees and they say, but you've got a you've got the lower branch facing towards you, and they and they they say that's that's a no no. You don't do that, and um, I say I say to people just. Look at look at the tree. Step back and look at the tree. I said, "Is it look? Does it look natural? Does it look balanced? Does it look like it's a real tree?" And they say, "Yes, it does." But you've broken this rule, and um, it's hard to it's hard to reconcile it with a with a beginner. But um, I get that all the time, all the time. Yeah, because so, I mean. People have got to understand too that bonsai is a living art, and it's not like, you know, it's not like say if you're into cars and you're building a car, you can choose what color paint you want, you can choose exactly what wheels you want and tires, you can choose the interior, you can yeah. choose the motor, the upgrades you want to put on the motor. But with bonsai, the tree kind of moves in its own direction, and it shows you Absolutely. what to do. You're following the tree's yeah. guidance. For the most part, we—I mean, I know that we do contort with wire and, you know, guide the tree yeah. in our own direction. But for the most part, the tree, you know, if it pops out a bud somewhere, it's like, well, I guess that's where the branch is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a it's actually a hard thing for for a lot of people to reckon to to realise that you're actually working with the tree, not against it. People think it's it's just total manipulation, but. Um, Unless until you realise that that the tree guides you as much as you guide it, until you realise that you'll never have good bonsai. People will never have good bonsai because, um, like we can we can prune a tree, but if we don't know how that species reacts to that pruning, then we'll mess it up. Yep. You know, if you you have to, you know that a that a Japanese black and red pines are, are too flush, so you can do you can do certain things with it because it it will react in its own way. So really, the tree is guiding us in what we do. Yeah, yeah. It basically, if that says makes sense. That, well, you know, black and red pine. They're basically saying you're going to prune me at this time, and the reward's going to be these buds. Yeah, yeah. You know? this is what I'm going to do, regardless of you know. Yep. So, but um. I've I've found a I've found a, a different technique on on refining old Japanese black pines where I only let them grow every two years. Yep. And um, it's still in an experimental stage where I don't I don't allow that second flush to grow every year. Yep. I only allow it to grow every second year. Okay. And that sounds I, I haven't really explained this to anyone before. But um, if you've got a Japanese black pine that's that's basically the way you like it as it is, you can actually slow it down by at least fifty percent by doing this, applying this technique, which means that that your tree is going to grow out of shape a lot 
a lot. It's not going to take as long. It's going to take a lot longer to grow out of shape, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because it's, you're not um, going to push your silhouette out. Every you're not year. pushing it. You're not pushing it and pushing it because, as you know, um, they have to. Trees have to grow. You, you you might be cutting the first flush off, but that second flush comes out, and then next year you're doing the same thing and same thing and same thing. You can't let that happen all the time because your tree will just get completely out of shape. It has to be reined in and restyled. You know, if you've if you've been doing that for as long as I have, you realise that your trees have to change and they have to change dramatically. Yep. But I've managed to I've managed to develop a technique where where your tree only grows every second year. So basically, basically that I I cut the first flush off very very late and just leave the buds there, so that the buds the buds form but the second flush doesn't form. Yep. And then the next spring I get the second flush from last year. Yeah. Right. Okay. And that's all. I, that's all. I, I simply let that harden off. Because it doesn't bolt like a first flush. Yep. Well, and uh, I've done that quite quite successfully. Well, I guess it makes sense because, you know, with Japanese black pine are a great example of it. They're one of those trees that you can ramify them very very quickly, and you can get very dense oh, pad padding. And if you've got absolutely, if you've got a very thin trunk, and then you start that pro process straight away of you know, ramifying, no. decandling, getting two, decandling those, getting four, you start that straight away, you're going to have this really thin trunk with just this massive amount of branching massive. on it. Yeah, and you're going to have look terrible. imbalance. Yeah. It's going to look like the top of the tree is going to snap off. That's right. That's right. But, uh, yeah, you've, if, um, but that's what I've been, I've been experimenting with that now for four years, five years. And I've got, <clears throat> I've got trees now that, their needles are oh, tiny, really tiny, <clears throat> and they only grow every second year. Yeah, uh, so. I'd, be, I'd be interested to see how that works out because, I mean, once you reach a certain point in refinement in bonsai, that's the trouble, isn't it? Trying to keep that, that shape, that balance, and that silhouette. And as I said, yeah. especially with black pines, every year you're doubling the amount of branches that you've got on the tree. That's right, yeah. And it, your trees do, do just, <clears throat> like I've had to, I've had to restyle a lot of my black pines many times because of that, for that reason, yeah. and that's what's that's what's made me think there's got to be a way of slowing this down a little bit, and um, I'm nearly there. I think I've pretty well got it sorted now, but because um, when you when you like the shape of your tree, you, you really don't you really don't want to have to to redevelop it. You don't really want to have to cut off all those branches and, and start again. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, but anyway. And sometimes the um, the hand of nature forces forces us to do that. Well, that's and it gets back to what we we're talking about. That you know that that tree that tree is is ruling. It's ruling the roost. It's 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 calling the shots, and you're just sort of ducking and weaving around it. You know. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny because I've got a YouTube release coming up that. I haven't got around to filming yet, but, you know, mm. as one of my notes in that video, I've got that, you know, once once you obtain a bonsai tree, whether it's from nature, Yamadori, or you buy it as nursery stock, you, you now belong to that tree. That tree doesn't belong to you. You know, oh, you're, absolutely. every time that tree calls, you're going to be there to water it, you're going to be there to fertilise <laughs> yeah, it, you're going to be there to prune right. it. 
if it starts yeah, hailing yeah. at three o'clock in the morning, you're getting out of bed to go out there and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and that's that's the way you've got to flip your head around. You've got to. You, that's the mindset you've got to have with with bonsai. Yeah. yeah, you're there for its benefit, and 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 really, you're only a blip in its history anyway. Really, when you think about it. Well, that's it. If you're doing things correctly, then that's right. Yeah, you're only a blip in that in that tree's history because they'll live outlive you and five and six generations of people. So um, you've got to realise you're only the custodian well, and the slave. <laughs> well, it's funny on that point. It makes me laugh that when you see some people that talk about bonsai being torture and, oh, what the trees go through, and I say, what the trees go through? These trees live like kings. If I could live, <laughs> if I could live like a bonsai that somebody just turned up and gave me a drink any time I got thirsty and, you know, made yeah. sure that all my nutrient yeah. levels were tip-top and yeah. my hair yeah. was always trimmed to look perfectly. And... <laughs> That's right, mate, yeah. Yep, exactly. And uh, I've had, I've had, um, we've had busloads of people here, and and um, every now and again, there's always one person who, who thinks it's cruel. Yeah. And um, and it's um, some people have been very vocal about it too with me, which is quite um, um, disappointing. But uh, I tell them that exact thing, you know. It's I I. I accuse them of being more cruel because they probably killed an indoor plant and let's face it everybody has yeah. so that's usually the line i start with but um but yeah you're you're only you're the, like i say you're the custodian and the slave of your bonsai yeah but you love it every minute of it too well that's it you know <laughs> I, I think i've said it before you know what you give your tree it'll give you back tenfold in you know oh, absolutely cobayashi's Kobayashi's favourite saying, he, that's exactly what he says all the time. Oh, right, okay. India Kobayashi, yeah, yeah. yeah it's so, one of his mantras. Yeah, I, I believe you've, um, you've taken quite a few trips to Japan. Um, I've, only been, I've only been to Japan twice. Oh, twice, is, is it? Um, okay. Yeah, only twice, but I've, we've, we've probably made the most of it every time we've been there. So, so yeah. in Japan, who would you say you know, are, are the people that you would look up most to, you know, in in that kind of bonsai space, if we were just to put Japan in a bubble. Yep. Who, who would you look up to as a bonsai Good artist question. in Japan? Um, well, as far as their artistry and and their, their, the way that they, the way that they imitate nature, I would have to say it's two people. It, it's it's Kunio Kabayashi and uh, Tomio Yamada. Okay. When you look at, when you look at their trees, they're they're styled in a naturalistic way, and and they and they're very they're refined, but they're not refined to the nth degree. Like you've probably seen them yourself. You see bonsai with a, a spirit level. You can put a spirit level on the on the bottoms of the pads. And they're dead flat, you know, yep. this sort of thing. That's not to me. That's not bonsai. That's not. That's making your tree look like a bonsai. It's not making your bonsai look like a tree. Yeah. But when you when you look at when you look at Yamada and and Kobayashi, especially with their junipers and their pines, they look naturalistic. Yeah. And that's that's what that's what appeals to me. Plus, they they're very good natured people too. 
they're yeah. very very welcoming very open with their with their information yeah nice I, people i like kobayashi he's a bit of a showman with his little chainsaw and he's i don't <laughs> i don't like the i don't like the demo the chainsaw demos i don't like that at all actually it's just oh, um, it that's why i'll, I'll never it makes me laugh but it but he's a bit of a showman and, and i cringe every time i see something like that I well, cringe, but I um, mean that's all demonstrations, though. You you, you look at demonstrations yeah. and you think, man, if you're in your garden right now doing that work, you wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> exactly, it's so it's so false, and I've only I've only been to a couple of demonstrations earlier on in the in, in the years. I think the first one I the first demonstration I saw was um, Lindsay Bebb, I think. Lindsay Bebb, yeah, and that was a long, long time ago, over, well over forty years ago, and um, it was it was a juniper, but it was just such. I looked at it and I thought that's not that's not how I, I would do a bonsai. Even back then, I realised that that's not it. That's not the way you do it, and it's too rushed. And, and people have asked me to do demos hundreds of times, and I always refuse, but I always tell them why. Yep. That it's just simply not the way bonsai is done. Well, I it's... think I think lectures and talks are better. Absolutely. Because if you look at the the demonstration model, it's funny because if if you were to do if you were to get a piece of material, no matter whether it was a refined bonsai or a bonsai in development, if you were to do the work on that tree that needed to be done to that tree, one either the demonstration is going to be over in five minutes. Or two, the demonstration is going to go for two hours, and the people are going to sit there bored out of their brain, going, "What the hell is he doing?" So like, I'm doing the work. Yeah. This is this is the work. You want to this do is this? What you do? <laughs> that's, right. that's exactly right, and and that's that's why I, I have hold a lot of workshops at the at the gallery here, and um, I started off having a group of three people, and but now now I, I refuse to even do that. I I always do one on ones now. That's all I'll do. Yep. And it usually takes a day, a full day, to, to go through one or two trees, you know, to take them from a develop, something developed on, onto something that's a little bit higher up, up the ranks. But, and that, that's, that's what I try and instill in people, that it takes time. Bonsai is not an instant thing. The beginners I, I have here, the first thing I tell them is that they're not going to walk away with a bonsai. You know, they don't walk away with a bonsai here because that's not the way it's done. And um, uh, they get a bit of a baptism of fire from from, the, from day one, unfortunately, with me, <laughs> which, which is um, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But um, most people understand if they're if they're told straight up. Yeah, but, um, I think it's a I think it's a fine line with beginners of nurturing their innocence and their drive to continue doing bonsai but also not teach them the wrong thing you want to try and instill in them the correct you know the correct techniques and the, and the correct mindset but you don't want to be i guess you don't want to destroy them <laughs> yeah you, you don't want to be an asshole about it i guess but <laughs> exactly like that look honestly you did right it's a two-edged sword when you've got a beginner because you don't you don't want to you don't want to make it seem hard. Like I tell people, bonsai is not difficult. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of doing the right thing to your tree. 
and 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 to be able to do that, you have to learn the right things to do to your tree. But but it's it is a very difficult thing not to not to take a wind out of their sails and say you're not gonna you're not gonna walk out of here with a bonsai. That's yeah. not the way it goes. But I, I try and I'd, I'd I'd like to leapfrog people over that that feeling where where they they look at the stick in the pot and they think it's magical. Yeah. What we were talking about earlier. I'd like people to leapfrog over that as much as possible and sort of get into it a little bit more, but without taking the magic away, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's uh, two-edged sword. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's very difficult. I know there's there's two videos that I've done on YouTube, and before I released them, I knew it was just going to be a flame. <laughs> it was going to be a flame that got fed. One of them was when I spoke about the quote-unquote rules of bonsai, and you know went through the guidelines why they exist how they're not really rules but blah 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 and you know there's some people that just want to go off about oh there's no such thing as rules and blah 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 um and and then the second one was why bonsai shouldn't be kept indoors oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that was just yeah that was a bottomless pit of um you know people saying oh because the way I try to explain indoor bonsai is, look, you can keep a ficus inside, you can keep a fuki and tea inside. Look, you can keep tropicals inside if you just want to put that under an umbrella. Mm. But if you want to practice bonsai, you're not going to do that inside because if you want to practice bonsai, you need the tree to be super healthy and you mm. need it to get sunlight, you need it to get wind flow, you need it to get proper watering, all that kind of stuff, and it's only going to get that outside. And, you know, I've tried to tell right. people that if you're, if you're practicing bonsai indoors, you're practicing keeping a plant alive inside. That's what you're practicing. You're not practicing bonsai. Bonsai. Well, yeah, look, even, even focus, if, you, if, you, if you, you've got a nice fig and you're, you're trying to reduce the size of the leaves and you're, you're <laughs> defoliating it and all this sort of thing, you keep it inside under low light. It's going to get big leaves. It's going to get huge. As simple leaves. as that. That's right. It's because it's in a low light. It's it's in a low light situation, so you, you know it's not going to work on. You know the the tree needs to be in it in its environment. Mm. Like like we said earlier, you know you. The tree is going to tell you how it wants to grow, but it'll only do that in it in its environment. Yeah. So, um, that's just the way it has to be. But yeah, look you. you Trying to trying to get a, get get it in people's heads that that a bonsai is not an ornament. It doesn't sit on the shelf yep. as a as a, a piece of art. It it has to be outside, definitely. Yep. Yeah, you know I've um, I've been accused of oh, what was, what was the one guy? He, he said that I've disrespected everybody that's ever written a book book about indoor bonsai, and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, the only my answer would be so be it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, oh dear. I thought that was pretty mm. funny. So, yeah. where, where you're working up there, um, do you mainly work with exotic species there, or are you moving into Aussie natives, or did you move into that a long time ago? No, <clears throat> um, I'm more of a traditionalist. In, in my in my bonsai thinking, 
so I lean I lean towards all the the species that are as, as best suited to bonsai as I possibly can. Japanese red, black, white pine, um, Japanese maple, Japanese trident maple, um, swamp cypress, all that sort of thing. Chinese elm. Um, I do. I had a massive fig collection, but I've um, I've dropped that back to to a, a core of four or five trees now. So yeah. it's pretty hard to grow figs here because we get down to minus seven in Dorigo, and it's you know it's, yeah. it's a it's a it's a hard gig to keep to develop good ficus bonsai where I am. But um, figs, and I've I've got a couple of uh, casuarinas, the coastal dwarf casuarina. I, yep. I collected the seed in 1984 from the heathland at Evans Head, and grew them from seed. And there, that was 84. I collected them, yeah. But as far as that's 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 it. That's it with me with natives. Like uh, a lot of natives, like Callistamon and things like that, they're short lived. Yep. And they're very very prone to a lot of disease and and um, and um, borer and things like that. Yep. Um, and I have cop I've copped some criticism over this too, talking about short lived natives, but they are they're short lived. You can spend 20, 30 years on a on, and make a beautiful bonsai, and it dies of old age. Yep. And you go. That's not. That's not bonsai, as far as I'm concerned. It's just. It's a waste of time. But. Yeah. Um, but I have seen some beautiful native bonsai, some beautiful, beautiful native bonsai, and I. I wouldn't tell people not to do it, but it's just not. It's not in my. It's not in my nature. I. I, I really am a traditionalist. To, to say it again. Well, I think the exotic species, like you're talking about your black, red and white pines, maples, elms, all that kind of stuff, um, they're decades and decades and decades in front when it comes to understanding the horticulture and how we treat them. Aussie natives, not so much. It's It's a very young thing. Like me, for example, I can't keep a casuarina and... Actually, I, I should I should take that back. I can't keep a collected casuarina. I've tried to collect um, because where mm. we where we live here, we've just got thousands upon thousands of them. Just everywhere you walk around where we are here, there's just casuarina yeah. everywhere. And I figure, well, wow. obviously they're a good tree for my environment, so why not give yeah. them a go? And every single one I've collected, they don't make it and I've tried collecting oh. with massive amounts of root ball and keeping the soil in mm-hmm. them. I've tried collecting them uh, bare rooted and putting them straight in pumice. I've tried collecting in autumn. I've tried collecting in spring. I just, yeah. I, I can't do it. But I think that goes back to, and I mean, it shows with the work. It's, you, you cannot treat an Australian native like an exotic, especially when it comes to repotting. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're finding that out the hard way. And there's also all these other things that, you know, a, as the information starts to roll out, more people work with the Australian natives. I, I, I've heard it, I don't know, thousands and thousands of times where people say tea trees, for example, they hate root work. Mm. You cut the roots of them, they die. But, yeah, I've, yeah. Got, I've got five or six of them out on my benches that I've taken out of 10-inch pots and put them straight into a bonsai pot. Yeah, and they're highly refined. <laughs> yeah, that... look, no, you, look, you don't, you don't listen to all that sort of stuff. Like, I, I, this is a little bit 
off off subject, but I've got a um, a really really old sequoia, and you read all all the books, all the what's on the internet. You can't you can't cut them back by any more than thirty percent. Their root system, their root ball. Yeah. Last year I cut one back to over sixty, probably seventy percent of the root ball. All it did was make it angry, yep. and it it filled it filled the whole pot within twelve months with new roots. So you really can't. You've got to experiment for yourself. And I think with with Australian natives, it, that's that's the rule. You've the rule. You've got to. Um, you've just got to experiment for yourself with Australian natives, like I did forty five years, forty six years ago with with exotics. I didn't know anything about them. You've just got to go through that process. I think. Yeah, that's right. And as I said, Australian natives right now, you know, it's funny because I always see people saying too, oh, why isn't there more content on YouTube about Australian natives and why isn't, you know, people teach? We don't know. That's... Don't know, exactly, yeah. I can't teach you something that I don't know. Like I've, I've done on my YouTube channel, I've done very minimal Australian native content, but besides that, I... I don't know. I'm I'm still yeah. experimenting on my tra- yeah. I'll give you a funny story. Uh, so so last year we had um, we had a lot of rain uh, during winter. We had a lot of rain coming out of winter in the spring and in the summer. It just did not stop. And traditionally, in the years that I've done bonsai, I've never once <clears throat> had to spray my trees preemptively through winter for funguses yep. and pests and everything like that. We just, the climate we live in just doesn't call for that. But after the last season we had, when we come out of it and it was wet, my trees just suffered greatly because of the amount of moisture. And so yes. then I thought when we were moving into this um, winter, we were going to have another uh, wet winter and another wet spring. And I thought, well, this year I better go ahead and, you know, spray the trees and just, be preemptive this year whether i need to do yep. it or not it doesn't hurt and this is the first year that i've ever sprayed so i went around lime sulfur you know sprayed all the junipers and pines and everything else but i also sprayed all my leptos okay and then i want to say two or three weeks later one morning i come out and looked mm. at my leptos and turns out they were deciduous <laughs> Oh no! Every every single tea tree that I had in my collection didn't yeah. have a single leaf on it. It did not like yeah. it at all. And then, yeah. you know, first thing I did was I rang a you know a few people that you know I practice with, and have you ever experienced this before? And you know, a few people said that they had. A few people said that they <clears> hadn't. And lesson learned that Australian natives really do not like lime sulfur, even at a highly diluted rate so i guess that's you know part of the learning you know yeah that's right they would have come back though oh, they, they butted came... back oh yeah they came back in a big way <laughs> yeah because yeah. they're all healthy yeah, they're lime, all very healthy lime, trees lime sulfur can act it can actually you can just get a phytotoxicity with it with the sunlight that's all it is yep it just burns the bejesus out of the leaves but um i don't use i don't use lime sulfur i've never used lime sulfur in 46 years for anything like that Yep. I'll always use um, copper hydroxide. It's okay. a it's a, a copper based thing, and it's very very mild on everything. Yep. Um, it'll 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 knock needle blight, pine needle blight on the head, 
and just about every other fungal infection. So, is that the cosine um, blue? Cosine blue, yeah. You won't get any phytotoxicity with it either, which is really good. Yep. So it's a lot, um, and it doesn't stink. Yeah. It doesn't smell like, like bloody lime sulfur. I only use lime sulfur for for bleaching my shari and, and things like that. But um, but yeah, well, I've actually I've actually had to do a lot more spraying in the last two years. Yeah. Um, I've even had um, fungal infections on my fi- on my figs, which is something I've never had in over over four decades. Yeah. And that's only it's only come into the to the gallery in the last couple of years because of that this weather. And yeah. um, I'm I'm doing I'm spraying it now, trying to between showers, um, just as a preventative thing. But um, yeah, it's um, that's. It's something you've got to keep on top of. You really have, otherwise it, um, it's particularly needle blight. Needle blight's a horrible bloody thing. Yeah. It, once, it, once it gets in, it just wants to stay there, you know. Yep. It's a shocking thing. Yeah. Mm. So, so up there where you are, um, are you using town water to water your trees or are you running off collected water? We don't, we don't have town water at all here. Okay. We, uh, we actually sunk a bore in 2012 and we we had the, the water tested and we've actually got pure spring water on our place. Okay. And my, my bonsais get pure spring water. <laughs> so, and it's, uh, it's pH neutral. Yep. Um, it's, it's slightly mineralized, but in a, in a good way rather than a bad way. Yeah. It's, uh, it's probably the best water you can put on anything or drink. We, we'd prefer to drink that than the rain water. Yeah. So. So we're very we're very fortunate, very very fortunate, and and I've had experiences with um, with people who have actually bought some of my bonsais, particularly broadleaf deciduous. They take them home and they they water them with uh, town water, and it actually burns the leaves. Yeah, right. I've had that experience before, and that's what it's just come down to the the water. Yeah, well, most of the most of the town water in Australia and borderlines you know very very high in ph and and a chemical soup basically yeah and it just limits the uptake of nutrients in the trees so you know it's one of those things that you know people don't look at they just water their trees and they don't test the ph of the water and they wonder why well i fertilize the trees but they they still look really pale and it's like check your water you know water oh yeah absolutely yep yep You'll see in um, in a lot of bonsai nurseries. You'll see in Japan. You'll see a where they've got a massive big tub of water that they take the the, the water out of with those great big um, watering cans. Yep. What they do is they put the water in there so that the chlorine and other chemicals actually evaporate out of it first. Yep. And then use it. Yeah. But, um, unless they've got good water, I've seen that in a few places. But um, no, we're very, we're very fortunate to have. Extremely good water. Very well, good water. I've actually, I've actually seen it firsthand. I've got, I've actually got a tree here at the moment. I, I sold it to a guy well, last year sometime, I think. Um, it's a triple trunk juniper. It was all wired out. Really nice tree, and mm. um, he he's had it in a because it was still um, in development when he bought it. It was a pre bonsai uh, piece of material. Mm. And he said to me, he said, oh, 
when the time comes, can I bring this back to you and get you to pot it up and put it in a bonsai pot? I say, yeah, no worries. If, if the tree's still healthy at that point, bring it back, we'll have a look at it. And he called me a couple of weeks ago and he said, I'm ready to bring that tree back and get it potted up. And I said, um, okay, well, first of all, bring it in. I'll do an assessment on it and make sure it can be potted up. Yeah. Um, and he bought it here. And the first thing I noticed was the growth on the tree was very patchy. Some parts it wasn't growing, some parts that it had really strong growth. Um, and I said, oh, there's something not quite right here. So I'm going to have to really go over this tree and see if I can find what the problem was. And the two main problems I found, one, it had a scale infection. So mm. that's where the patchy... Yeah, common. That's where the patchy yes. growth was coming from. There were yep. some places growing, some places not. But the other thing that really intrigued me was all the all the little needles on the juniper, on the on the photosynthetic surface of them, had a very white, pale, crusty appearance. And I was looking at it and I was scratching it off. I picked up the phone and I rang the customer and I said, just by any chance, I said, have you been watering this tree on the foliage? And he goes, yeah, every day. And I said, are you doing that with town water? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, mate, I said, I think you've actually um, halved the photosynthetic efficiency of this tree. I said, because all these needles are just covered in calcium. Like the calcium buildup yeah. on the surface of the leaves, like it was just, looked like you'd sprayed yeah. it with lime sulfur. <laughs> yep, I've seen, I've seen that before with trees people have brought back to me to, to repot. And I've seen figs with, that are almost white on the, like on the leaves. You can see there. They've got a film on them and it's sort of in little blotches and things. It's and it rubs off. It's just it's just the 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 chemicals that are in the water evaporating every day and, and staying there. It's um it's a very important thing. And you you're right, people do overlook the quality of their water on their bonsai. Yeah, because really if you if you've got you know, <clears throat> if you're watering a town water, uh, I mean, I don't recommend overwatering trees anyway in terms of over the top, like on the leaves. Mm. The only time mm. I water my trees over the top is if it's a stinking hot day and it's a pine or a juniper or something that can yeah. handle it, um, just to give mm. it that cool down period, to give it time to drink before it starts yeah. transpiring again. Yes. Um, yeah. But besides that, I never, never put water on, you know, the, the top of my my foliage because mm. yeah that you, you see it on the bonsai pot after you know after the tree's been in the bonsai pot for a while and the rim of the pot just goes like a stark white, white color because the yes. calcium yes. build up on the side of it you know That's it, mate. yeah and other chemicals too but uh, i don't i don't worry here i, I just water over the top because the, the, the water we use is um like i say we're extremely lucky to have that that um pure spring water basically well, that's right. You know, it's going back to what we were saying excellent. before, you know, there, there's two techniques there that uh, one's perfect for you and one's not for me, you know, and they're both correct. Exactly. You know? where, exactly. where I am, I wouldn't water over the top just because I'm using town exactly. water and where you are, you can get yeah. away with it because... And look, if you're, in a, if you're in a really, really hot, arid sort of um, climate too, if you did that, you'd probably burn the leaves on deciduous trees anyway. So well, that, That's why I say you know, I only do it on pines and junipers. Yeah, that can handle it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it's um, and that's the you've got to you really got to tailor things for your climate. The climate's in, extremely important. Like we we moved from 
from from I had a place in Grafton outside of Grafton where we had all our field growing stuff, and um, the way I treated my trees back then to the way I treat them now in Dorigo is, is completely different. The soil is completely different. Yeah. Um, the way I water is completely different. The the growth rates are different. It couldn't be it couldn't be more of a contrast from yeah. going from that climate into into a, like a cool temperate climate here in Dorigo. Um, and particularly the soil, the soil mixes I use are just incredibly well drained, incredibly well drained. So more than anything. Well, in, in terms of your soil mixes, what I know for eight different trees, you're going to have different mixes. But what what are your core mixes that you're using? Well, I, I use a I use a core mix for everything, and then I then I augment it for the particular species. That, that makes it easier for me to to manage yep. so the the core the core mix that i use i use a lot of pumice and akadama and um and i'll always put some really well rotted pine bark in my mix yep and that that pine bark in the mix really really sort of gets the biota of the soil going because i only use i only really use um an organic fertilizer yeah for that reason because i like a little You've got to have a little bit of biota in the soil. Yep. It does make the tree healthier. Um, and those three ingredients are the core ingredients. And um, depending on the species, I'll use um, a thing called natrimin. I'm not sure yeah. whether you've heard of natrimin. No, I haven't. It's a natural rock mineral that's mined in Gympie in Queensland. Okay. It's, um, it's a slow-release mineral um, and, a, and it augments the pH of the soil because I'm using a very – a very dry, well-drained mix. It can it be, can become quite acid, yep. but the natrimin seems to hold the hold the pH up for me. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll also use a fairly coarse zeolite. Yep. Uh, which is which, which also tends to hold the nutrients up in the in the in the soil, and it, and it increases the the um, cation exchange capacity of your soil. Yep. So the more more well-drained it is, the less CEC. You, you can have a very low CEC, so your, your nutrients are going straight through your, your mix. Well, for um, most people that use Akadama, pumice and lava rock, the only thing that's really holding nutrients there is the Akadama. And Akadama's very, very um, acid if you if you just use it. It's, um, you've got to be careful with, with – uh, you've got to fertilise your, like crazy with Akadama if you yep. use 100% Akadama. But um, what else do I use? I use um, – well, the akadama that I use, I'll use fine a lot of fine akadama and and a lot of it in in something at, at one end of the spectrum, like um, like taxodium, yep. the swamp cypress, yep. and um, I'll use a little bit less or quite a bit less for um, for my pines. Yep. But um, but it's it's just those core things and. Um, I'm just trying to think. There's a few other ingredients there that I use, but that's the core anyway. It's um, it's just pumice, akadama, and um, well-rotted pine bark. Yep. And then natrimin, zeolite, basically. Yeah. And um, that's that's worked well for me in this climate, particularly. Yeah. So all those ingredients are quite, all those ingredients are granular. 
except for the pine bark, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I do sieve that. I sieve everything so there's no powder in it. Yep. But um, they're they're all very granular. So um, it's up to up to about six mil in yep. a medium sized pot. Yep. So. Yeah, it's good and because it you can you can tell by all the things that you just mentioned, every single thing has its use case. Like you were saying with taxodium, you use more akadama because obviously you want that higher moisture retention. Whereas with your pines, you're using less akadama because you want less moisture retention, and you're using the pine bark because you've got an organic material there that's actually going to help microbial activity yeah. within, you know, like especially you say, the, the pines. It's the what? It's the why, not the what. Yeah, well, exactly. It. It's 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 why you do it. Yeah. I don't know how many yeah. times I've seen um, the mix one to one to one of Akadama pumice and lava rock, and it's just like, okay, how did you calculate that for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's a it's a bit of a minefield when you start talking about soil, though, because it's it's the same as styling black pines. You've asked a thousand people how to do it or what soil mix they use, you'll get a thousand different answers. And it's because in a lot of cases, people are in different environments and they, like, there are some people who just use some um, potting mix. Yep. No? Well, that's, and yeah. If I, <laughs> mate, well, hey, they do. I've, but, and, and I've seen, um, I've seen things purchased from reputable bonsai nurseries that are just in potting mix yeah, or yeah. or that horrible stuff, that um, plugger. You ever had anything to do with plugger? No. Uh, plugger was, it's a, Deb, it's a Debco product, but it's off the market now for some reason. I don't know why. It's gone off the market for the last two years. And plugger was the, the, um, the go-to for, for a bonsai soil. Yep. And, mate, if I use plugger here, I'd have root rot and death within 12 months. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's what I try to explain to people. Um, you know, and it's funny too because I see it a lot where people see something that survives <clears throat> and that is their justification for it works. And it's like, well, there's a difference between <clears throat> survives and thrives and ends up in refinement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, with, with the the garden soil in a bonsai pot, it's just all you're doing there is asking for a water table. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, absolutely. Perch and, water table. Yeah, and the, there's no room. Like you're not going to get those refined roots. You're going to end up with a root system that only occupies twenty percent of the pot because it's not going to want to grow down into the bottom where there's a water table and just cloggy right. oh, yeah. soil. <laughs> And, and, look, and imagine trying to refine a, a Japanese maple in garden soil that holds more nutrients that you could poke a stick at and then you come around the spring and it starts growing and you get these huge in it. <laughs> yeah, look, but, but it, the, the thing, that, the thing that, that I focus on is, is a, the degree of air in your pot, in your, yep. pot, in your soil. Like if you, can, you, you get a good airflow in your soil your trees will grow, they'll be a lot healthier. Yeah. A lot, lot healthier, you know, and that's it in a nutshell. I do, um, I'll always do an, air, I used to do an air fill pore space measurement on my soil. Yep. Just to, to measure how much air was in the final mix. And I don't do it anymore because I, I it's just second nature to me. I don't even measure things out. I just do it by feel now. 
but I know that the airfield pour space in my in my pots is up to 30, 37%. Yep. And that's 37% air. Yeah, yeah. You know, you talk to a horticulturist, they'll tell you that that's, it, that's ridiculous. But I tell you what, mate, you get you get that air in your soil, your trees go mad. Well, you know, the thing they'll, is, they'll grow. we've heard it time and time again, and, you know, we hear it a lot from Ryan at Bonsai Marai, that once you go into a bonsai pot, forget about all that, horticulture knowledge that comes with gardening and absolutely you know, all that kind of you, know, you hear these people that get into bonsai for the first time and say yeah well i've been a gardener for you know 30 odd yeah. years and it's like yeah well welcome to day one of bonsai <laughs> yeah well look you talk to a you can't talk to a nurseryman about it either because they turn their trees over they they don't know how to keep a tree alive in a small pot yeah they know how to they know how to they know how to turn their trees over and those trees only live in a pipe for a short period of time. Yeah. They go in they go in from the wholesaler to the retailer and then they go home and take it out of the pot and put it in the ground ninety percent of the time. Yep. So there's there's no one in, in the horticultural nursery business who can tell you how to do bonsai, how to keep things alive in a small pot. Yeah. Well with those yeah. types of trees, you know, they have some you know, you need to bring them home, put them in the ground, and then they go into autopilot. In bonsai, there is no autopilot. <laughs> you're at the wheel 24-7. Yeah. You fall it, asleep, mate. you're yeah. going to crash. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's um, it's very important, very, very important. But um, And that's what annoys me about you go to – I get so many people who bring um, bonsai refugees to me yep. from Bunnings. Yep, yep. The Bunnings refugees. And you you try and save them, and you take them out of the soil, and the soil is just compacted organic matter, like a like a like a bad, really bad potting mix. Yep, yep. And you know, and it, I think it turns people off bonsai, this sort of thing, because ninety percent of them are, are doomed to to die. Yep. Of, of that sort of thing, and it just turns people off, and it's so hard to sort of. Um, uh, well, it, it's so hard to, to, to you never change that, put it that way. I, I'll never change it, but at least I try and educate people when they come to me and I tell them what, what their bonds I should be in and they're gobsmacked. Yep. And, they, and they say, well, why are these people selling this? Why are they selling this stuff? And they're calling them bonsai. I said, well, there's, I don't know, there's got to be something, there's got to be something illegal about that, <laughs> putting a label on something that's not what it is. But, yeah. Um, very disappointing and it, dis, disheartening for the bonsai world, really, because we're trying to promote bonsai and what they're doing is the exact opposite. Yeah, well, uh, the funny thing is, too, that's the reason you'll see a lot of junipers at Bunnings because they've got an eight-week window uh, to sell a dead tree. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they take a little bit of time to die. Yeah, it's, yeah, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's true. Yeah, it's yeah, dead right. I, I don't know what your Bunnings is like, but when we go to ours, the trees are, have no sunlight and they're just on a shelf and they've got right. they've got an automatic watering system that runs over the top. So they get watered at the same time every day, no sunlight, yep. and by the time the person buys it, you pull the roots out and you've got to hold your nose. It's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. The rot's already set in by the time they buy them. It's just awful. Yeah, but, but um, you know, with those kind of things, it's it's a blessing and a curse at the same time because 
the the advertising for bonsai it's great because a lot of people get into it just walking past a tree in a big box retailer and they buy their mm. first tree and hopefully they've gotten to a bonsai nursery or show or demonstration or know somebody mm. in time that they can keep that fire yeah. burning you know yeah well i get i get people here i get a lot of people here with with their little refugees and and it's too late yep nine times out of ten it's too late and they're they're just so disappointed but um um how many others just die and they just people think oh bonsai is too hard for me i can't do it you know how many more how many more of those people are out there we don't see you know yep. it's anyone but that's a depressing issue yeah, yeah and very it's depressing a, issue to talk about <laughs> and, and it's the same thing around the world and as you said it's not something we're ever going to get rid of but it's something that we can mm. try to educate on um i always i always do yeah yeah. Always try and educate people. But, so, um, so, changing topic, when yep. it, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to the aesthetics of bonsai, and I, I already know what your answer is going to be, but I'll ask it anyway. Yeah. Um, what do you prefer in terms of aesthetic? Do you go down the road of traditional Japanese styling, or are you more going towards the modern Gendai? style of bonsai that we're seeing these days because you know once yeah. again when we talk about aesthetics we can put japan in a bubble and we've got japanese styles and then we move everywhere else in the world and we see new styles coming out of australia now and we see mostly in america we see collected junipers and stuff and they have their style that they're going for and you look at yeah, India yeah. they have a, a certain thing going on and Vietnam has their own thing yeah. going on you know <laughs> the crazy thing going on there it's sort of on steroids over there oh, but, mate, um, they're, they're just regular sized trees and pots <laughs> yeah look seriously they've taken a tree out of the out of the rainforest and just put it in a big massive pot but yeah that's that's quite bizarre actually and and look there's a lot of work goes in there a lot of work goes into all these different styles and you've got to give credit to to just about everyone and what, what they do yeah but yeah you you're you're right you know exactly what i'm going to say i'm more of a traditionalist an old oldest sort of japanese style traditionalist i don't like the and my adage is you, you've got to you've got to make your bonsai look like a tree not your tree look like a bonsai yeah you know you can't you can't you can't do the spirit level bottom of all the pads and all that sort of stuff, you know. That to me, that's that's art. It's a real artificial thing. Yep. It's 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 like that postcard sort of bonsai or that um, pigeonhole bonsai, the, the idealistic bonsai, you know, with the spirit level bases and things. You look at a lot of Kobayashi's um, junipers and things. They they've got this naturalistic look about them. They look yep. like an old tree. Um, Tomio Yamada's favourite favourite tree is a an old juniper with a beautiful old dead wood through it. But this this you can tell that he's that he's he's designed this, but with a with a real finesse, a real understanding of nature, um, and that to me is what bonsai is all about. It's not about the spirit level thing and, the, and that this idealistic, perfect bonsai. Because yeah. 
the, the, per, the perfect imperfection, as we spoke, spoke about earlier, that perfect imperfection is what nature does, and that's what we've got to emulate as far as I'm concerned in bonsai, that perfect imperfection of nature. Yep. Like you don't see it. You'll only see a tree out in the, in the paddock with a spirit-level bottom on it if there's been cattle in there and they've been chewing the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. That's the only time you'll ever, you'll ever see that. You know, even in a very old tree, you'll never see that that spirit level bottom. Yeah, well, those um, very contrived bonsai designs that you're talking about, they kind of reminded me. Contrived of, is the word. Yeah, they kind of reminded me of when you go to the hospital and everything's so clean that it makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a good analogy, actually. It's but it, and it's true. It's just not. It's just not right, is it? It just doesn't look right. Yes, I, I need a so, little. So yeah, <laughs> I need a little so bit of dirty. <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 that's right. It, it has to be naturalistic, and and um, I, I did an article on that on my website a long time ago about about the more naturalistic look of trees, and I I put a couple of Kobayashi's and Tomio Yamada's trees up as examples, and. Um, you can see you can see it in straight in in them straight away just by looking. But um, talking about when you, you see you see Americans when they they do a lot of Yamadori stuff. I know because they can collect all this sort of stuff. It makes you green with envy what they can collect over there. Yeah, yeah. But but you see this beautiful old naturalistic look. Nature has carved this tree out, you know, with all its old dead wood. But then you see a, a triangle with a green helmet over it attached to it yeah and it doesn't fit the tree you can that that looks different and 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 it and it clashes with the with that old naturalistic look of the tree yeah yeah it, to me you, you look at it and you go oh no it's it's that should not be with that you know what i mean it's that 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 perfect green top and 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 the spirit level thing should not be with that tree well, you, you see a, a collected tree like that out of nature from the mountains and you expect to see a tree that's had rocks fall on it, you know, it's yeah. been exposed to the extreme elements on both ends. It goes through the extreme heat in summer and it goes through the extreme yeah. snow load in the mountain, yeah. you know, in winter. And yeah. The, the branches and the branches and the foliage should reflect that. It should reflect what's reflected in the, in the trunk. And it should all tell the same, the one story, but it, it doesn't. It tells two different stories. These trees that, that a lot of them that I've seen. I'm saying they're all like that. Yeah. But but you know it, uh, it it just it clashes completely. There's no there's no single theme there. There's no no single thing that conjures up a, a picture in your head of what this tree's been through, and it it looks so artificial. Uh, I know. I think it's probably, you know, I myself haven't been to Japan yet. Um, it's something that I'm very much looking forward to. We were supposed to go, uh, I think it was this year, we were supposed to go with our dojo because... Oh, um, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah we, we have a... Shurinji Kempo actually has a worldwide... Um, I, it's a competition, but it's not a competition because, you know, like the Japanese, they don't fully believe in competition. They believe in coming together, but not competing. Yeah. Um, but they do have a, a world event where all the dojos from all around the world come and they, you know, they have little randori sessions and, you know, um, 
Mm-hmm. They give out certificates and stuff, but they do that every four years. And no. once every four years, they'll have it in Japan. And then in the next one, they'll have it, they'll choose a country and they'll go there. And then the next one will be back in Japan and they'll have a country. Yeah. Um, and this one was supposed to be in Japan, but then COVID took over. And yeah, yeah, it ruined a lot of things. But look, if you do go, next time you do go to Japan, um, I can recommend a, a guy who actually knows most of the bonsai masters in in Omiya Village and in Tokyo. Yep. His name's his name's Yoshihiro Nakamisu, and um, he owns J Bonsai. Am I correct? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yep. Yoshi. Yep. If you look at their website and look down the bottom, there's a picture of us on it. Oh, my okay. wife and I, and <laughs> and him and his wife outside their little restaurant, their little bonsai restaurant. Yep. Um, but Yoshi Yoshi San. Yoshi Hiro Nakamiso, he's very, very good. And he just took us and we had a had a like a private um introduction to each of the Bonsai Masters. Yep. Kobayashi, Kimura, um, Mr. Kato and um and um Tomio Yamada and a couple of others. Yep. And it's very personalized and very good. So that's the that's the advertisement on this podcast. Yoshi Hiro Nakamiso is very good. Yeah, I'm looking. We enjoy it. Oh, look, we we were blown away. I'm this last time we went was 2016, and I'm still trying to process everything I saw over there. Seriously, it's just um, it change. It'll change you completely. Well, that was going to be my next question because the fact (laughs) that I haven't been to Japan, and I can already see it in a lot of people that. And even in myself, I'm 100% guilty of this. Um, But I want to ask you if this is what changed in you. There seems to be a preconceived notion of bonsai in Japan, okay? And it's just what people get told. How different is what people get told about Japanese bonsai? How different is it to actually going there and looking at the trees yourself? Well, if anyone anyone looks at a a Japanese bonsai and praises it, uh, when you go there... It's tenfold. It's yep. tenfold as a the way it affects you. Like you, you can't be told about Japanese bonsai. You can see all the pictures, every picture under the sun. But to go there, meet the people, and see how dedicated they are, and and how much time they actually spend on their bonsai, and the results of it, it it will, it, it changed me completely. I came back here and and I have I have my my collection. Again, simply so that I could spend more time on less trees. Yep. yep. Purely I, because of that experience. I, I can't stress that enough. I stress that to the beginners all the time that, you know, I teach things to I say, less trees, less trees, less trees. You want <laughs> you want twenty top quality trees instead of a hundred <laughs> mediocre trees. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well well look like I said, we came here twenty one years ago with, with hundreds and hundreds of bonsai. And, you know, I thought I was doing okay. I really did. And, um, but then last time I went to Japan, what I saw, what I saw just knocked me over. And I just, I simply had to change. I had to change the way I do things. I had to spend more time on the trees. Even, even what I picked up talking to, to just talking to some of the apprentices as well, who were actually working on trees at the time. It just, 
it's just hard to explain, but it does change you. So yeah. I, I tell everyone, as soon as you can get to Japan, just go. You know, you've well, got to do it. Well, I find the number one thing about, you know, what people are told about Japan compared to what actually goes on in Japan is there's yeah. this whole thing that Japanese bonsai is perfect. And I've spoken to, um, even on the podcast, I've spoken to a few apprentices from over there. I've spoken to oh, Ryan. Yeah. I've spoken to Bjorn. Yeah. Um, oh, right. You, you know, um, I've, I've done podcasts with Ryan. I've done podcasts with Bjorn. Um, I've spoken to them privately. Um, yeah. And especially Bjorn, I, I, <laughs> you probably get sick of me asking him, but I always ask him about the trees in Japan because it it interests me so much. And the last time I asked him, I said to I said to Bjorn, in your experience, how different are the trees in shows in Japan compared to around the world? Uh, you know, and especially the judging process of trees. You know, if if you're mm. in Japan, is it more strict and stringent to the guidelines compared to in the West? Like if you go to a, a sh- like the national show in Rochester, New York, what how how different is it? And Bjorn actually said it's actually more stringent and strict and follows the rules more in the West than it does in Japan. He said it's just it's a construct <laughs> that's made up. That you see, you go to Japan, you look up under the trees, you'll see bar branching. You go to Japan. He said he's seen trees that have had things glued onto them, um, and, and he said it's funny. It's just you know the the trees in Japan are big and beautiful, but what everybody speaks about is actually just a construct, and it's a mindset that people have that oh these trees in Japan they're something else, and then you go there and look at them, and you know you go to these people's gardens and you look up underneath them and go oh well there's a bar branch and there's a little bit of inverse taper and there's this, but there's these big, beautiful trees. Uh, you, you know, what you expect yeah. from the Japanese, they just have a, you know, we yeah. have this weird construct. Well, well that's, that's quite strange because um, when, you, when you go to Japan, I'll let you make your own mind up. Yep. But, um, but when, you look at those, when you look at those trees that have been in the same families for five, six generations of people, particularly Tamiyo Yamato, he's, I think he's fourth or fifth generation bonsai master. Yep. And um, you can see you can see the age in these trees. They tell, they just tell a story, these, these bonsai, and I can't praise them enough. Like when you say it's just a construct that, that we, we have this vision in our head that, that Japanese bonsai is the very best in the world, well, when I went there, I was—I just simply confirmed it for me. I, I don't think it's that it's we have a construct that they're the very best, but I think we've got the construct that they're perfect in every single way. Oh no, 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 no! Look, there's no, as the Japanese say, with the the notion of wabi-sabi, there's no such thing as perfection. And mm. and if you if you go if you go anywhere in the world looking for perfection, you'll you'll always be frustrated because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, but but when you go, you see you see bar branching on trees, but you'll see you'll see the bar branch, but you'll see that one branch has been put in a different level to the to the other one. It's yep. it's you know bar branching is is a thing of nature. Trees yeah. do that, but they always go looking for light in a certain spot, yep. so the branch goes in a different spot. You know, so that's that's part of nature, and bar branching is 
is a rule you shouldn't look at anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's another story. But, um, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but honestly, the, the feeling of just that feeling of age and um, the, the wabi-sabi thing kicks right in yeah. in Japan. Well, well like really I does. mentioned at the start, you know, and you mentioned it there before, the mochikomi of a tree, that's not something that you can style onto a tree. The only way you can get mochikomi <laughs> no. on a tree is to have yeah. it in that bonsai pot as a bonsai for generations. Yeah. It's literally yeah. and the there's only something, way you can get it. Yeah, and there's just, there's just that, that thing that you can't really explain about these trees. Like um, there's... You can you can put your hand halfway into the into the bloody bark um, fissures of, of some of these black pines. Yep. You know it goes in this bar. Yeah. All the all the you know, and you just look at these things, and they just tell a they tell this incredible story just by looking at them. Yeah. And it you you actually get overwhelmed. I, I got I certainly went into overload bonsai overload when I was there. You go to, like, particularly Kobayashi, he's, he's got a very, very big collection in the museum there. And there's thousands of trees there, and they're all in show, show condition, and they're all together, and you just can't take it all in. Yep. It's just impossible. You didn't overload. But if you try and rein yourself back, you can just look at, try and look at one tree at a time, which is pretty hard. Um, each one of them has got this thing about it, you know, and it's just, it's a study within itself. And um, it's, like I say, I'll let you make up your own mind about Japan when you go there, but it will change you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to need a couple of weeks to, you know, take everything in because... Yeah, absolutely. There, yeah. There's so many places there that, you know, I want to visit. Um, yeah, look, hire a car. one of them. Well, Kobayashi's uh, he's just out of Tokyo. It's um, it's incredible. Absolutely, yeah. he's got he's got trees in, in rooftop rooftop um, um, platforms and everything, trying trying to fit as many trees in the places as he can. Yep. it's amazing. Yeah, I'd love you know, to. But, um, I'd love to go and see Shizinji. Shizinji, <laughs> I can't even say it. Shizinji Suzuki. Suzuki. <laughs> yeah, Suzuki. 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 Yeah. Uh, no, that, look, I haven't. Been, I haven't been to his his um, his um, bonsai nursery, but you know he's got some very really beautiful natural natural looking trees. Absolutely yeah. stunning things. Things. Yeah. Yep. When, when it comes to no, I, well, when it comes to um, we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit. When it comes to yeah. outside of the Japanese bubble, who do you look for? for inspiration outside of that, whether that be Australia, America, Europe? Is there anybody um, that... Um, well, you could probably accuse me of being quite narrow-minded when it comes to, when it comes to that question. Um, like, I've got a lot of respect for Ryan Neal and, and what, he, what he does. Yep. Um, but very few others in, in, in the States... Um, I find them a little bit too contrived, a little bit too perfect. Yep. If you know what I mean. Um, that doesn't that doesn't take away from them because I, I I understand the work those people put into their trees and and it's 
it's a it's a it's pretty amazing stuff. But to me, um, I've really got the blinkers on. I I do like a lot of European um, bonsai artists. One particularly, Pavel Slavic. Yep, I know um, him. Yep. He actually worked on one of my trees. Okay. Uh, um, white pine that I've got. Yep. He worked on it when it was in when it was in Canberra. Okay. At the Arboretum. I love what he does. Yep. Um, his personal collection, it's, it looks, it's got to be all Yamadori, the whole lot of it, because it's just so, it's got some really beautiful old stuff. But yeah. um, a lot of the European um, olives, there's a lot of beautiful um, olive bonsai yep. in, in Europe. But um, well, I, I think yeah, it's look, a perfectly I, fine, fine answer to say that, you know, you don't really look up to anybody outside of Japanese because, look, I, you, you can say if you're into country music, I could say, okay, well, outside of country music, <laughs> what's your favourite metal artist? And you could say, well, I don't really listen to yeah. metal, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, that's probably that's that's probably about the same, the, the analogy, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm quite happy with, um, with trying to strive for, for a for a, a Japanese, the Japanese wabi sabi, um, um, it's what would you call it? It's not. It's almost a bloody religion, wabi sabi. But it's a, but it's a, it's a, it's a way of looking at things, and that's the that's the way I want to look at things, and that's where I want to study. I want to study that even more, and and try and refine that, and that's that's my focus basically. Yeah, and look, I'm the same as you. When it comes to style, I much prefer the traditional Japanese style. A lot of mm. people that I look up to are practicing in Japan, like Masashi Hirao, um, Taiga Urishibata. Um, I love Kunio Kobayashi, um, you know, Kamura-san. All, all of those, you know, Japanese artists, I absolutely love what they do. Um, mm. But I also do look everywhere around the world I try to learn something from as many people as possible and mm. push it all together and see if I can make sense of why this person does this but this person doesn't do this and why they do it different if I can figure out why these two people don't do the same thing different then I've worked in, <laughs> then I've worked it out yep yep you I understand know, that you know, yeah I, I've worked yeah, out what the core you're probably a little, is. little you're a little more broad-minded than I am with bonsai, I'm afraid. But, but see, I to give you a little bit more history. I um, I I developed my bonsai style in isolation from everybody. Like yeah. I, I only, I think it was only about five or six years ago that I actually built a website and actually started to 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 really try and contact with the rest of the bonsai world in in Australia. Yep. And um, you know, people. People still look at me and go, I don't know you, and they, you know, they're big names in Australian bonsai because they say I don't know who you are. Um, where where did you come from? How come you got these trees? You know, and it's because I've just kept to myself for so so long, yep. and um, and I've become really really sort of narrow minded, I guess, and stuck in my ways. And but it's it's been a bit of a two edged sword. It's it's helped me to develop things outside any other influence, yep. Um, and and to actually to look objectively at what I've been, what I was looking at, and, and and thinking that a lot of that's rubbish. I've just got to go and try and do my own thing. And um, 
but it's also been a bad thing because I haven't had the good influence from from so many people in Australia. There are some really, really talented people in Australia who I could have learned a lot more off. So it's a bit of a two-edged sword. But um, now I'm starting to sort of starting to, to get in contact with a few people. And um, one of my favourite people in, in a bonsai artist in Australia has got to be Ian Hearn. Uh, yep, yep. Ian's, a, Ian's a sort of guy who, who he knows everybody in the bonsai world, but he, but he does tend to keep to himself a little bit too. Yep. But um, when, you look at, when you look at his black red pines, um, you know, you've, you've, um, you've got to give him the credit. He really knows what he's doing. Yeah, no, I enjoy so, um, Ian's come here a few times. I really enjoy speaking to him while he's here. And Oh, yeah, he calls a spade a shovel, mate. That's what I like about him. He's, he's just down to earth and tells it like it is. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> have, you, have you seen his trees? Have you been to his place? I haven't been to his place. I've seen photos of some of his trees and, you know, we're, yeah, as I said. Some good stuff, mate. When he's come here to my garden and we've been walking around, he shows me some, you know, photos of his trees and, you know, we talk yeah. about different things and, um, yeah. yeah, really enjoyable fella to, you know, sit down and talk with. He is, he is. And he's very knowledgeable and I bought two, two um, Makawa uh, Japanese black pines off him. Yep. And um, they're, they're prized possessions of mine, real yeah. prized possessions. Yeah, no, it, um, it seems to be his favourite is the the black pines. Well, that's what I Oh, yes, anyway. when... Oh, absolutely! When he first came to, to up to, to visit me, he said, "Oh, he said, he said, someone else who grows a lot of black pines," and he was he was over the moon, you know, because he knew damn well we were going to get on yeah. <laughs> because we because of that fact. But uh, yeah, he's very good with he's very good with his pines. So he's got some old stuff too. Tell us a little bit about um, the Australian Bonsai Gallery, and you know when it was you know, founded and why and stuff like that? Well, that's, uh, it sort of flows on from what we've just been talking about, like the fact that I'd been uh, kept to myself for, for way too long, and I only, I did realise that some time ago, but um, the, the reason why um, that was part of the, that was part of my sort of changing my the way I do things was I built a website and, and we we built the we built the gallery here about probably sixteen years ago, and uh, I've always wanted to I've always wanted to build what we had we had the design for the gallery in our heads for thirty years, yep. and it was only when we moved here that we had good space and 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 we just knew where we wanted to put it, and we built the gallery, we housed it with with the the best bonsai that we that we've produced and um we just opened it to the public yep so that so that we could educate people about bonsai and since since we have opened we've we've had we probably get between two and four visits a week now i guess yep and pre-covid we were getting a lot of busloads of people we had busloads from melbourne and all over the place brisbane wagga and um it's just a really good educational tool, and it also helps. To, we get a buzz out of sharing what we've got. Yep. And um, and it's just a it's a really good thing to to have people here. We have people here who've been doing bonsai for a long time too, and we talk about bonsai and 
and that's that's been a it's been a real revelation for me because I've got so much pleasure out of that. Whereas for 35, 40 years, I haven't. If you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. It's 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 sort of brought me out of out of myself a little bit, and and I've been able to share um, my knowledge and also take up so much from other people as well that I've been missing out on for so long. Yeah. No. It's um. It's really good for, for people in Australia when they can go and experience a collection like that because that's that's one big part that people miss out on is when they're learning bonsai and they see books or go on the internet, but actually going and seeing yeah. good bonsai yeah. in the bark is exactly completely different, you know? It is. It is. It's 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 and people people it just gobsmacks people to see a lot of trees together like that. Yep. You know, um, and and they, they say, oh, I didn't realise bonsai were like this. I, and they say, a lot of people tell me they, was, they were expecting to see a lot of little tiny things, you yep. know, like a, like a group of bonsai, like a Bunnings. Yep. That's the kind of thing was in their, in their minds. <laughs> but when they come and see real bonsai, they, they're just absolutely gobsmacked, you know. That I'm, not, I'm not praising myself. I'm simply saying that, my bonsais are real bonsais. I know that, but yep. when people when people see something they're not expecting, um, it just opens their mind a lot, and it, it's a it's a good thing to see. I know exactly what you mean. Before Christmas every year, we have a sale here where we sell gift trees. Um, yep. <clears throat> they're hell of a lot better quality than Bunnings. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I, I well I'd expect so. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> And um, but the the funny thing I find is when people come here to collect those gift trees, um, you know, for Christmas presents and stuff, mm. they go and have a look at my collection, and the the number one thing that always blows. I've actually got um, I've got a setting, and it's actually a bunch of volcanic rocks that I've put thread bar through the middle of multiple volcanic yeah. rocks and made like a yeah. mountain. And then obviously um, uh, hollowed out spots to put trees in and put drainage and tie downs and everything. And it's got shimpaku yeah. junipers all over it. And it's got a big cascade one that hangs off the top. And then it's got a semi cascade one that comes off the side. And it's got a little yeah. informal upright down the bottom. And it's got one around the back that's clinging off the back of it. And they yeah. see the look on their face when they sit there and look <laughs> at that. And the yep. number one thing they always ask me is, where are the roots? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. they yeah. can't yeah. tell. Yeah, and yeah. they, they just no. don't understand that, that that's bonsai. Like, that's, and they yeah, just that's don't. the art. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, I get people I get people here that I've actually got a, a big forest of, of, um, of swamp cypress. Yep. It's sitting on a big, big piece of granite. Yep. And um, even if people don't like bonsai, they'll always gravitate to that tree because it, that group, because it looks so naturalistic. Yeah. And um, it's it's amazing how um, people are drawn to that. You know, people who don't like bonsai, they just come in to have a look and they're always drawn to that tree. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it just, it does gobsmack people to see what real bonsai are all about. And and it's it's okay to it's okay for people to talk to talk, but you've got you've got to show people what bonsai are all about. Yep. And that's helped. That's what 
that's what helps helps me sell it because I, I've been I've been selling off a lot of my bonsais as you know. Yeah. But I'm nearly at a point now where I, I'm I'm just about I'm just about at where I am. But um, it's helped me sell a lot of bonsais because I can walk the walk. Yeah. Because you know you can tell people as much as you like about bonsai, but when you can show them what your bonsai really like, mm. you know that 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 clinches it with people. And I always tell people that you know, beginners, if you if you don't you never believe anyone what they say unless you see their bonsais. Let's just see what they've done. Yeah, and, so. and that, that's the good thing too because a lot of the people that uh, watch my YouTube channel, they'll see a, a tree that I worked on on the channel and then they'll come to the garden and then they get to see that tree in the flesh and it's... Exactly, yeah. It's obviously, you know, further down the track than what it was when it was on the channel. It's, you know, whatever yeah, work's been done to it, it's flushed out or it's, you know, whatever. And they go, oh, is that 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 tree that I've seen? And you did this, and, and it's like, yeah, that yeah. was like two stylings ago that you seen that, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, it just reinforces people that like that that person knows how to do bonsai, you know. And yeah, that they're the people you buy from. They're the people you get advice from, and that's what it's all about. Well, the the yeah. problem that I have in that situation is my garden is actually split down the middle, so everything on the left is my collection. Everything on the right is nursery, you know, what's for sale. Yeah. And everybody wants to buy everything on the left. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, look, I've had, I have people here from Sydney and they just, they come here with a, with a fistful of cash mm. and, you know, and they know what's for sale because it's on the, on the website. Yep. But, you know, they just want to buy this, that, the other thing. And it's, well, when you tell them what they're really worth, <laughs> you know, I've done that, but I've still had people wanting to buy them, and I'm thinking, oh, geez. But, but it, it's it's not about the money; it's about it's about the 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 bonsais themselves. Like when you've had a when you when you've been daily looking out looking after a bonsai for forty six years, you, you kind of get attached to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you put it's, so much work into it, and you know. But it's an attachment that that goes beyond just just the aesthetic value you put on things it's it's um you've had a relationship with that tree for so long it's i know that sounds a bit odd but that's the way it is with me well the thing that scares me is I, i've had people that have like you said they come into the nursery with fistfuls of cash and they yeah. go oh money's no option you know rah, rah, and then they yeah, start and they go oh how much for that one mate that's not for sale and oh but money's not an option and then they start talking to you and they say oh so how would I water that? Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and, and you look at them like, you're definitely yeah. not buying that tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I've, I've actually turned a lot of people away that are like that. You know, they want, they've got all the money, but they just, they've got no idea. They think it's an ornament and you just put it somewhere and that's it. I, I, I feel like I've when you sell sold. some trees, they should come with a quiz. And if you get a certain mark on the quiz, <laughs> then you're allowed to buy the tree. Well, a, a lot of the a lot of the collected collection stuff that I my private collection that I did sell, I did do that, but it wasn't wasn't on a paper. But I asked people, you know, and if they didn't come up to scratch, they didn't buy the tree. Yeah. Because the last thing I'd want is my tree to bloody those trees that were so old to die. Because I was selling I was selling trees that are well into their forties. Yeah. And you just you don't just sell them to anybody. You don't throw them to the wolves. You know, you can't do that. 
I couldn't do it. I could, couldn't do it at all. No. So I, I, I used to turn a lot of people back, even just stuff I had for sale. Yep. So, yeah. Yes. So before I leave you here, um, do you just want to tell everybody where they can find your website, social medias, um, and the Australian Bonsai Gallery? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, the website's australianbonsai.gallery. That's the website. Yep. Um, you can find us on Facebook and and Instagram from the website because there's feeds there's feeds from Facebook and website on there, so you can just click on them and go to Instagram and Facebook. Yep. So it's all it's all there to sort of go to. There's um there's a lot of uh, little video clips of of different times and, and different different parts of the bonsai gallery on there as well. Yeah, and there's also a um a really nice little slideshow on a bit of a condensed version of how to refine Japanese black pine. Yep. That's been very, very popular. So, um, yeah, australianbonsai.gallery and you'll find it all, all on there. Okay. At least that way people, if they want to come and check out the trees, they can get the address and kind yeah. of get, a, get an idea yeah, of where you're on at. there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. All right, we'll stick around for a minute, but we'll um, end this podcast here. It was absolutely fantastic to have you on. I could have sp- spoke to you for another two hours. <laughs> oh, we might do that later on. It's, it, was, it was a pleasure, mate, really a pleasure to talk to you. No worries. Well, thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you.